Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, your rugby podcast from The Times and Sunday Times on location this week. I'm Alex Lowe and I'm here in the Turk's Head pub in St Margaret's Twickenham with Al Dimmock, the new editor of Rugby World magazine. Well, I will be from... There's a round of applause from the back of the pub from one man and a dog. Um, <laughs> not officially until November, but I've, I've signed the paperwork, the ink is dry, I will be, I will be taking over and I'm, I'm bricking it. Alex, but yeah, no, ahead. you'll yeah. be great. Well, Brimming full of yeah. ideas. Yeah, are you allowed to carry on podding? We're already losing Mark Evans to Fiji. Are you can you still stay with us? I will be fighting the good fight. Don't you good worry, man. Good man. So we're here to we've we've decamped from Grasshoppers Rugby Club um, in nearby Side Lane, where Eddie Jones has announced his first training squad of the new season. Um, some significant omissions. Those who who didn't go so well on. On the summer tour, Danny Kerr, Joe Marchant, Harry Randall, who didn't even play. Um, and a, a couple of uncapped players coming in for the first time. Hugh Tizard, Alex Coles. We'll be going into that a little bit later on. But there's so much, Al, to, to discuss on this pod. Another incredible weekend of rugby on the field. And all sorts of negative news still swirling around off it. Yep, I mean, life is all about light and shade. And there's plenty of beautiful stuff on the pitch that we can talk about and we'll we'll go into that as much as possible there's also some dark clouds so plenty to cover I mean I've got an interesting conversation coming up with John Dobson who is the, the head coach of the Stormers who won the URC last season they did so whilst in administration and he's got some interesting views about what's going on but there's there's loads more to cover yeah so we'll give an update on everything we know about Worcester and Wasps I was at Exeter on Sunday Exeter Quinns another ridiculous game um Incredible entertainment, 12 tries, loads to talk about in the Prem. Bristol, one of the unbeaten teams, still still going. We're we going to look at the Rugby Championship. That's come to an end. And I guess the familiar sight of New Zealand hoisting the trophy, but it wasn't a, a, a classic. It wasn't a, a familiar route, let's say, for the All Blacks winning that title. There's plenty to discuss. We'll also have our God or Goddess of the Week. But first, as Al touched upon, we'll start with the shade. There's no avoiding the spectre of administration and financial concerns that loom over the Premiership. And that's coming up after this. I suppose it'd be remiss of us to ignore the shade, Alex, and there's plenty of it around, uh, dark cloud overhead. I was just wondering if you could explain to us right now, now a lot of things can change, it depends on what time you're listening to this at. <laughs> We're recording this at 1pm on a Monday um, but we're sort of waiting to find out what happens with Lewis and Wasp. Where are we right now? Well, by five o'clock on Monday, uh, we expect the RFU to have suspended Worcester Warriors from all competitions, the men's team and the women's team. The club are locking up the stadium and, and all the facilities at 4.30. Uh, all staff have to go and empty their lockers. The stadium will be shut um, while the club is suspended. 
The reason for the suspension um, is that the RFU set the club a deadline of five o'clock Monday in which they had to meet a string of totally unrealistic uh, demands. And unrealistic, not from the RFU's perspective, but from the sense that it shows how far off being a a properly functioning rugby club Worcester now are. The players' insurance premiums expire at midnight on Monday. They needed to provide evidence that the club could could pay for the insurance to continue. They needed to provide evidence that the, the club would not only pay the outstanding salaries of the staff but could fulfil the next payroll on September the 31st. They needed to provide evidence of a credible business plan that would take the club forward. They don't have one and they haven't had one. and That's one of the reasons the, the club are in such dire financial straits and we understand that all talks about takeovers have, have halted because of the demands that the, that the owners have been making. So the club, as we expect, as we sit here, will, will be suspended from all competitions, men's and women. There's every chance they will then go into administration. They won't play for the duration of that suspension. Um, there's a hope that it'll only be about three weeks out of the league and the games that they miss will be awarded to the opposition if it gets beyond three or four weeks, and they have a bye week in there, which helps, but if it gets beyond three or four weeks, it starts to, to impact on the integrity of the league. It starts to get very messy indeed, and then, then the, question, the, uh, the conversation has to be, well, can they ever return? The punishment for going to, into administration would be automatic relegation to the championship, unless they can demonstrate to the RFU that the administration was not of their making, it was not their fault. There is a pandemic clause within it, that said, there are plenty of suggestions that I've heard that, that Worcester have had opportunities to get out of this. Um, offers of financial help, for example, that haven't been taken. So I don't. we'll have to wait and see whether that would be enough to counterbalance any um, sort of pandemic clause. So that's Worcester. They are on the verge, on the brink, as we see here, of being suspended, which is remarkable for a premiership club to be allowed to get that far for the, for the, the authorities to have been powerless to stop it from getting that far. Wasps is a different case. They, in May, were due to pay back a £35 million bond that they took out when they moved to Coventry in 2014. They couldn't afford to pay it back. They told investors there would be a delay, and they've been working through the summer to try and find either refinancing or a takeover. They remain confident they can find a way out of this, but HMRC called in a tax bill of £2 million last week, uh, which immediately triggered the club to have to file an intention to call in an administrator because that was enough to send them under. Now, that buys the club 10 days, and they can refile, so 20 days to effectively... Max. Max. To effectively save the club, uh, to find refinancing, to find that £2 million... um, to, to find a new buyer potentially a, a new uh, a new owner so they've got they've bought themselves time but my understanding and listeners who work in in this world will will, will know more than me about it but I've, I've tapped into our our business desk you cannot file for one of these motions unless there is a severe risk of going into administration unless you believe that administration so you can't bluff your way can't into bluff it. your way into it unless you believe that administration is likely to be the only way out but it buys you time to try and save the club. Um, and, and so that's the, that's the difference. Now, what's the talking in bullish terms that they, they think they can get out of it? Where they will struggle in the court of public opinion is that we've heard all the same talk from the Worcester owners for weeks and weeks, and it's all been hot air. There's been no, no evidence of, of ever coming close to getting out of it. And the players, and as we've spoken about on the pod, the players and the staff and the fans and the media have long stopped believing what those owners had to say. I think there's a different view within the rugby authorities about WASPs and, and, and their owners, but we are unfortunately at a position where we will only believe it when we see it. Um, so they have 20 days to find £2 million in order to continue, in order to pull themselves out of the hole that they're in. And WASPs, uh, and WASPs, I beg your pardon, are, we're unlikely to see on the field for a, a few weeks to come. I mean, Dark days, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. You can understand why they went to the pub. Yeah, well, I mean, what, so Worcester, yeah, after their their victory over Newcastle, went went to the uh, they emptied the the stadium of beers. It was sort of supposed to be a party, 
but there was a there was a tinge of a wake about it mm. because there's a chance they could come back into the league. But there's also a chance that Worcester Warriors, as a professional rugby club, won't exist. And and if they do come back into the league, it will be a vastly different. You know, whatever assets on the field that we saw, I mean, it's going to be a completely different picture. Absolutely, because they're a pl- they've got a um, handful of top class players there, and they've got even more good Premiership players there, all of whom will have the opportunity at some point over the next few weeks to leave, especially if the next payroll is not met, because then they can submit the letters to trigger um, the end of their contract. So, yeah, it's dark days. This could be the end of Worcester. On Friday night, Simon Massey-Taylor, the chief exec of Premiership Rugby, was at the Bath Wasps game um, and, and addressed all the these dark clouds that are hanging over the Premiership at the moment. Do you see that, maybe not inevitably, but a likely future for the Premiership in a couple of years whatever happens with Wasps and Worcester specifically, that there are fewer teams in the league and it's more sustainable to have less than 13 in the in the top league. Well, however you structure it, you think it might work better if there are fewer teams? I think you need to look at the whole ecosystem here and, and so you can you can you could have more teams, you could have less teams and you know, I saw the article the, the other day um, around the various options. I think so I think you need to, you, you can't not think about the championship in this but but equally um, you know, my main focus is clearly on, on creating a sustainable Premiership and, and making sure that we have clubs that are, are able to um, afford and, and, and be profitable in those um, in that scenario. Could you see a future where you could have? I know that you've seen those pieces that people have written about two conferences, perhaps like having five in each or eight in each or whatever, and splitting it like that and having two different funding models and have a Prem One, a Prem Two, that sort of idea. Yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of these options, and, and the truth is that we that we're looking at all of them um, and, and trying to whittle down to, to what we think the optimum one would be. Um, we're we're a we're a 13 team league at the moment. We're aspirations to, to be 14 teams by the end of the season. That, that's what's been agreed. So that's the only sort of known at the moment. But clearly, you know, having two uh, clubs in, in in trouble at the moment kind of puts everything on. With that, when would you have to have a discussion about changing that as a plan? If yeah. if Wasps and Worcester can't compete in the league at some point in the season, surely that's going to have to be revisited. The whole plan to get it up to fourteen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think you know uh, we, we, we're the standards are the for promotion have been set, or, or and, and, and we clarified recently. Um, the anticipation is that a championship club has the ability to come up the season, but I think. Yeah, we also need to determine what the, what the, what the format of the, of the league looks like from 24-25 onwards um, because the championship clubs will be investing um, with the aspiration of, of, uh, of playing Premiership rugby. That was Simon Massey-Taylor talking to Will Kelleher at the Rec on Friday. Um, we've been covering this story in, in print and on the pod really since the season began uh, across the summer that it's hard to add too much that's new as we reflect on it. All we know is that Massey Taylor and the execs at Prem Rugby are determined to grasp the nettle now because, um, as we've spoken about, there's a lot of talk about the opportunities that this crisis will present to restructure the league, to grow commercial, all of those elements which we've spoken about. And we'll keep you posted on uh, both in print and, and on the pod as they as they happen. Um, but Al, you've been chatting to the Stormers coach, John Dobson, as you mentioned at the start, and he has a view on on this for a very specific reason. Yeah, so uh, you might remember uh, that the Stormers went on and won the URC last season. A truly incredible tale because they did so whilst under administration. They're actually still in administration. Uh, this is their second season with that. Complete financial mismanagement and uh, real issues in the Western province there. Um an incredible feat for them to do so and I think it was a good time to talk to him because he has a unique perspective now it's great that you did the explainer there about what happens if these teams do go into administration with relegation because it was slightly different in South Africa and he he does explain that but it was just good to get a bit of a perspective and also just a little bit of empathy uh, for what's happening with Wooster and Wasp because this is a guy who's been through it so um, give this a listen there's some interesting views from John So we're joined here by John Dobson officially head coach of the Stormers but He's worn a lot of different hats at that franchise over the last couple of years. John, thank you very much for joining us on The Ruck. Um, before we get into all sorts about the the health of, of club rugby and what it's like playing under certain constraints, uh, you must be excited about the start of the new season and, and getting off with a win against Connacht. Yeah, we were very worried about uh, yesterday. And also, you know, we enjoyed a lot of hype and the, to the victor, all the spoils over the last few months. 
So I, I think on Friday night, I had a radical case of the sort of Sunday blues, you know, because we couldn't really, we're really going to go down from here, if you know what I mean. It, it was um, back to work. Um, but, uh, you know, we were we were worried, uh, not just about uh, um, uh, the season and you know, the hype and the tradition, the targets on our backs. I think, you know, we had some change to the squad with you know, guys. That, I think one of the things the URC has to sort of understand is the internationals, when, which because different countries don't have internationals at the, all at the same time, if that makes sense. So, you know, play Connacht with Bandiaki and Mac, Matt Hansen and our Springboks all in Durban. So that so and and so we're worried about that and a couple of guys gone overseas. Uh, so we're very nervous to see if we still had the same sort of character and the same thing that we showed last season. And it was almost and Connor are a good uh, they're tough physically, you know, but it almost ended up being a replication of last season where we sort of worked to have one or two moments of magic and score fourth try off to the final whistle, you know. And that would <laughs> so it was nice to see that that same sort of the, the team looks in the same state, which was a good state last year. Well, it's funny you say in a good state last year because obviously very much on the park, you are the reigning URC champions, but obviously we want to talk to you a, a fair bit about the unique situation that you've experienced because the financial health of rugby clubs is a big talking point in the global game. Obviously last season you won the URC whilst under administration. I was wondering if you could just sort of give us a, a quick precy of, of what it was like playing under that because it was before last season started uh, were there ever any doubts that you guys were even going to make it into the URC correct did right the the the, the I, I think I remember being on a, a phone call from one of the senior executives of South African rugby just before uh, the URC started to say that we could be pulled out to be replaced with the cheetahs from the free state in yeah, Bloemfontein in the free state uh, and that's because of our own misadministration and our financial position and um Look, a lot of our financial position was only self-inflicted, but I don't think that's relevant. I mean, it's, it, but the two years, for two years, we'd had issues, you know, of uh, did we, we we messed up the investment from the MVM consortium we bought into the Sharks. Um, I think the relationship with Saracens now, and we just ran out of money and, you know, it was very really tense. And then SA Rugby came, the URC was announced. We obviously, one of the main franchises in South African rugby, we had a place. And then they sort of said, yeah, you guys have gone too far with your maladministration. You know, you've got no cash. You've got no, uh, you're unstable. There are various court cases between the members of the executive. It was a total mess. And then they've, and our sponsor, DHL, a great sponsor, we had, had enough, enough of the negative. They were going to bail and that would have tipped us. And then SA Rugby stepped in and they phoned, a, you know, not long, maybe a few days later. So that was, we were really in Treviso for the game against Benetton, which would be our first game to say we might be pulled out of the tournament and Free State were ready to travel. And then a few days later, they came to say we're going under administration. And uh, look, I'm not sure what the law is in the UK, but that was the saving point for us in a funny way. Because obviously it's it's it's, it's slightly different being under administration. The, the Premiership has hard and fast rules that if you fall into administration, um, there will be repercussions, you know, falling out of the league um, and points deductions, etc. Um, but for you guys, it was slightly different. However, how close were you to oblivion for just... Western province just not being a going concern. Uh, I would have thought days, Alan. Uh, you know, we had, we got, we still have so much debt. Um, you know, we lost our stadium in Newlands. Um, we lost, you know, a massive amount of players. Um, our sponsor was ready to go, and without them, you know, we would, we would have been, you know, I don't know how well you know, South African landscape. We would have become another Kings or, you know, Boylant. You know, the, you know these these are much smaller uh, clubs that are just really amateur bodies. You know, with the whole conglomeration of clubs without really a professional team and that's where the, we, we were literally days days away for that um what, what i would say because i think you alluded to now alan is about the administration we have the same process here in that we administrated then we liquidated we were actually liquidated in 2016 for the first time managed to stand up and dust ourselves off from that and then now in administration um there isn't a, the, what i don't quite understand i know there's a difference between us and yours and our administration was great because we were taken over by the mother body which we can go into if you want uh i don't understand the punitive thing because the uk seems to have a punitive nature to administration you know that you, you do you get thrown out the league or whatever point you said points deduction and that sort of thing and the mindset from our national body and my sort of criticism ours is just different was to stabilize us you know which was a uh, which was a big thing and obviously it worked or at least it helped because I mean, obviously we can talk a bit about the ongoing issues that there are with being in administration and, and, and suffering on the financial side of things, but at least you could just focus on the rugby. Incredibly. I mean, I'm sure 
you know, Steve Diamond at the moment, what they did yesterday, or was it Friday night? Was it was yesterday. Was it, well, they, they were remarkable whenever it was over the weekend. was remarkable. Uh, and you can galvanize a squad. Rugby is known for that. It goes back to the England team in, in, in Ireland in the seven. I mean, it's amazing. You know, when the backs, there are a lot of examples. But um, I'd no doubt that Steve Diamond hasn't been focusing on coaching the team as much as he'd like. Every other worry. And that's what we lived in. And it's fine for a week or two or two or three weeks. Uh, um, and you get your backs to the wall, but eventually the sudden, that uncertainty just breaks a team. It just breaks, you know, as I say, uh, initial sort of adrenaline fight, but stuff them sort of attitude. But I saw it at Western Province. We lost players, uh, our training dropped. Um, it was, it, we atrophied enormously um, with administration. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't wish it on anybody, but comes enormous security because there's one chap who sits there with, you know, the players, I think we have a preferential creditors in South Africa. The players are regarded as super creditors, you know, even more than preferential creditors. So they get paid first. Once you've got your players being paid properly first, the rest you could sort of work around that we only, we, like I've told you before, we could only eat McDonald's. But um, at least we had complete certainty. You know, okay, I knew we had no cash. I knew we had, um, we couldn't afford to take extra guys on trips. There were two games in the URC last year. We actually played with 22 players, which is, that's a, it's a different tactic, you know, <laughs> you have a, a, small, a smaller bench. But that was purely financial. But at least we had certainty. I mean, the players would be paid and we had certainty that, you know, we weren't going to get liquidated then. We were under administration and that helped us a lot. And just on the, the rugby side of things, purely focusing on, on the way that you guys played, you, maybe there's a freedom that comes with, what more can we lose? You know, let's just have a go. Was that the attitude throughout the season? Because you guys played some... And I mean this in the most positive way possible. Some harem scarem stuff. <laughs> yeah, look, it, the, we we um, adopted we had a couple of sayings as we are who we are. We by the time we we'd been shopping at the I don't, I don't know what the UK discount stores were for players. So we lose Akko Bongum and Ambi Peter Steff to Toy, Sia Khaleesi, Damien Delende, Eben Etzebeth. Those aren't small names, you know, out of this franchise or team. And then um, we were going for I don't want to say the price but we really went to the bargain shops and those guys had a point to prove which is one thing and it was exactly that Alan. they just thought stuff this uh if we're going to go down we're going to go down fighting and uh um that's i mean there was one moment in the final i think it was on 78 minutes the bulls kick it out all we have to do because our line out's not bad our mall's not bad with kids off and mahoba is kick the yeah take the line out the ball that's on take the front ball maul it kick it into the bulls 22 with a with a contestable kick and either get the penalty at the mall or keep them there but no no worry Kalan took a quick quick throw in and uh, you know, and we actually turned it over, and the Bulls got it back. I mean, we managed to turn it over again. So, yeah, we were a bit lunatic about it. But you're right; that, that was that, that that sort of classic, <laughs> classic freedom of if we're going to go down, we've called ourselves the absurd heroes. How could you eat McDonald's for four meals in a row in Scotland, and go on and win the URC? And uh, we sort of got pride in that, as you suggest. So, with that, I mean, and obviously, an incredible feat to go on and win it all. And I suppose you maybe got 15 minutes to enjoy it and then the planning starts for the next season. We're in season two of administration in the URC. What's changed for you over the over the summer and, and what's it like now, the reality of season two of that? For us as the Stormers, what's changed, unfortunately, is, is, is not much uh, in terms of we're still under administration. We still have the same financial concerns going into the last thing. In fact, we're, we're probably spending a little bit less on our squad. Because uh, it's the first thing an administrator does is sort of hemorrhage cash flow or, uh, you know, sort of gets the costs in order. So, um, but uh, um, we've got a lot more pride in ourselves. And what is that? What has happened to us is that by playing well and winning the tournament, suddenly there's a lot of equity interest in us. So I've got a funny feeling we're going to go from the poor house to the mansion over the next um, before the end of the year. But at the moment we are operating on exactly the same constraints as last year. Uh, but the um what, what, what i suppose that's us selfishly and that we will be a good equity investment that the bids have closed with a big a reputable auditing firm if there's such a thing and they uh and they're eight bids in to buy the stormers which is great in this that sort of goes and talks slightly against the trend that's what you guys are dealing with pretty pretty much at the moment but that's probably based on the fact that we had success our fans came back to watch us as regards the urc itself we are incredibly excited because I think the tournament exceeded all expectation last year. I know we got lucky we didn't have to play Leinster in the final, but uh, just going to these venues, you know, um, you know, we we and this, just the feeling of the tournament. It feels like real proper rugby that we sort of knew about, and uh, so yeah, you know, I think we're we're excited, and the product's doing well. I've got no question. I mean, you saw Edinburgh versus the Bulls. Not many teams can go to Loftus with that team 
and go up there and miss losing the last minute like yesterday. So it's becoming what the Premiership is already probably any given Sunday or any given Saturday. With Zebra beating the uh, Zebra coming so close with Leinster and the Sharks and that tradition, the Whipping Boys, I think the competition's made significant advances in terms of competition. But obviously, there's another competition. Uh, you've got to compete in <laughs> Europe, Europe as well. So. I mean, resources probably weren't uh, thick on the ground either, so you've got to spread yourselves a little bit thinner than before. I mean, obviously, excitement to be involved in in European competition, but uh, a bit apprehensive at all. Yeah, very. Yeah, not the excitement. Yeah, there's excitement, just the prestige of us being in a, a tournament that we watched. I mean, you know, perhaps the Premiership, like the Pro Forty, there wasn't overly watched in South Africa. It's broadcast quite well, but Heineken up was sort of thing people would build a Saturday afternoon around you know for the last few years before we were in it uh, people would say it's 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 Saracens against Munster every way we watch it you know what I mean that it, it, it was a big tournament yeah so that is very exciting I think the fact that we're going to be challenged uh is you know last week last year we were very lucky uh, um Leinster came up but I think they flew back to play against I'm gonna get it wrong who they flew I can't remember but they had a big where it may have been Exeter, I can't remember. But they were flying back for a big uh, last 16 game after we played them. Yeah, we were having a weekend off. Uh, so and, and he, you know, so that, that, that is going to be a very real challenge for us. That's a big challenge. The other thing is that South African DNA, we, you know, we're not known for romantic rugby, but we, we're known for turning up you know, and being physical and competing everywhere. And what our mindset of our players is best team every week and try and win every game. That's how we play rugby in South Africa. And it's going to take such a seismic shift for us as coaches to say, yeah, we can probably win in the URC 60%, 65% of our games and still make a, a, a playoff. But we might have to win just two of the four, might be enough. In, and we're going to have to rest players. And it just goes, I promise you, it's so against our how we've always played rugby. Because Super Rugby, we always had all our spring box. There's no international rugby, the whole of Super Rugby. Strongest team week in, week out. Okay, if somebody needed a slight rest, and this is going to be an eye-opener, and that's how we think South African teams could get caught this season. Perfect. And and finally, John, is, and obviously no two situations are the same, no three situations are the same, mm-hmm. but would you have any words of advice or encouragement for the, the players, coaches, staff, volunteers at Worcester and Wasps? Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> we went through exactly this. Uh, exactly, I could see the, 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 the uncanny resonation what we really see in Worcester. I mean, it gave me shingles down my spine where I saw yeah, the guy stops tweeting on 65 minutes and then we were very much this exactly the same thing uh, it tricks you know our staff persuading staff to come to the game to work on the weekend um, the, 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 the only and it sounds much easier said than done and uh, it's just a focus on the rugby you know if you can make the team good then the rest looks after itself you look you might be done I don't know what the consequence of the UK but once we playing and I just said okay I, I can't do anything about this anymore we, we're going to coach and do as best we can that changed our whole our whole outlook the fights off the field I couldn't control and once I took my nose out of that it, it actually made a difference stay in the fight <laughs> really interesting stuff there from John Dobson the head coach of the Stormers uh, out in Cape Town obviously not a like for like uh, situation because they went to administration Saru took over and they were allowed to compete for the duration of the the URC and went on and won the thing. However, there was an interesting moment where we stopped recording where John asked uh, producer Alfie and myself a question where he said, why are things so punitive in the Northern Hemisphere? And we said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we went into administration. Everyone saw that the greater good was to keep us going. Um, they were take, we were taken over and obviously things weren't amazing. I mean, I can tell you that the stories of John Dobson going into his own pocket to pay for tape for players. They were played games with 22 players rather than 23 because they had an injury in the warm-up and they couldn't afford to bring anyone else out. You know, still slightly hamstrung, but they were able to keep going. And he was kind of... He struggled to get his head around a little bit why a team that could like these could be allowed to be relegated. The thought process of which, and it's an interesting discussion, and I'd be keen to get your thoughts on this, Alex, is in a world where being a viable professional rugby entity is kind of slim. You know, the, the, the being, a, being of that ilk, there's only a few more in England that we think are capable of doing it. Would you not support assets like this? That was that was kind of the gist of it, and it'd be an interesting one. Is is it for the greater good to see these teams relegated, or would it be better if they were supported? And obviously, there are a few rules to deal with here. But in the grand scheme of things, if a wasps can be turned around, is that not better than bringing mm. someone else up? It really depends on what angle 
you're approaching this. I spoke to an owner um, of a club last week who was adamant that the league cannot move at the pace of the slowest team. So if the, if if, okay. if a business effectively, which is what it is, cannot survive the pace of that the Premiership demands, i.e., can't afford it, then they have no no place in that league. And that was that was the view of an owner. And I know it's, he, he doesn't stand alone in in thinking that. And that would feed into the conversation about the structure of the Premiership and actually too many teams. There are teams who most teams want the salary cap to stay down. Mm-hmm. Four teams voted for it to for the current plan to continue, which is for it to go back up, because they they're the, the clubs that, that really want to move at the, at, at the pace to be able to compete in Europe. And so at the moment we have comes back to this whole structure conversation which we've had on the pod before about what's who's driving it is it the at the moment we've got 13 individual businesses who all have to try and stand on their own two feet there are a few who are not going to come in and save Worcester because that's not how the governing mod, the governing model is in in this country secondly there's history at play 1999 Richmond came storming into the premiership spent bucket loads of cash went bust went all the way down the pyramid and had to work their way back up again. So the, I, I think the reason that, that the rules as, are as they are, which, to recap, if, they, if any team goes into administration off-season, they start the next season on minus 35 points. If they go into administration in-season, then they're, they're relegated for the start, to, the, the, to the league below for the start of the following season. That's to prevent clubs from overextending themselves, ch- chasing the silverware by overspending because yes we have a salary cap in the premiership but there are clubs this season whose budget is lower than the salary cap so there's a salary cap there which is to try and even out the competition and control spending which hasn't worked enormously well the reason that this punishment is, is so severe is because it's, it's acts as a disincentive for that richmond went went to the wall london welsh weren't in the premiership at the time but it was connected to they went to the wall they tumbled down the pyramid because the, their professional team folded. The Premiership rules, or a few rules, sorry, are designed to stop that happening. It's to stop a club overspending in order to try and win win the league, and then just bail out into administration and not have to pay their debts. I tell you what, it's a fascinating subject. We could talk about this for bloody ages because I'm actually working on a, a, a piece for this week about the idea of the economic principle of competitive balance in American sports. You know, we've got player drafts to try and raise the standards of the lower teams. Um, had some really fascinating conversations with sports economists about this. Uh, with a rugby didn't spoke to the salary cap manager, at the Premiership about uh, a competitive balance, and it's, it's a bit of a pet subject for his. And it's a it's a real interesting topic to get stuck into. It's fascinating as well looking at somewhere like the AFL. And uh, and I spoke to someone from the management behind the AFL about competitive balance for them, and really fascinating to look at it. They're centrally governed by uh, someone that's independent there's no ownership structure there so it's all um, commissioned uh, people by subscriptions to join clubs and that's who owns clubs so you've not got 13 owners in a room arguing with each other about their own interests because the whole idea is what's better for the collective it's just really fascinating it's just such a contrasting landscape out there totally and and if you look at the Aussie rules have just signed a seven-year television deal in Australia for two and a half billion pounds and they're willing to, and I know this from speaking to them, is they're willing to look at markets and go and do their analysis and go, it's for the greater good that we have a team there, this new expansion franchise, let's give them the bigger slice of the pie so that they survive. Whereas in the Premiership, it's a case of, you'll be all right, Jack. If yeah, you so survive, you good on you. It comes back to that's how you want to manage the league and the structure of it. And, and there's work going on at Premiership Rugby to try and flip that organisation from being... As Mark Evans has said to us before, they were set up as a commercial entity to actually flip it. And instead of being, they have to try and corral 13 club owners to reach an agreement on something, that actually those 13 club owners sanction the executive management to make decisions that are for the good of the league. That doesn't mean that these clubs have to all be franchises, mm. but they all have to they might have to sacrifice something for the for, for the greater good to, to, to raise... The, the greater good. Well, it's that, yeah. To, 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 you know, all, all boats lift with a rising tide or whatever the, yeah, the phrase. Yeah. That's the model that they're, that they're discussing. And therefore, within that, if that was... If there was more of a collective approach, then you'd be more likely to find 
teams helping out other teams because they need that club to survive to for the greater good. But at the moment, it's it's, it's every man and woman for themselves. And frankly, in the Premiership, there are directors of rugby waiting for Worcester players to become available so they can snap them up. And you're not telling me, as Steve Diamond himself has said, if that if that pea share disappears and they go from sharing everything by 13 down to 12... Yeah, there'll be some people rubbing their hands. They'll be rubbing, rubbing their hands. And, and we, we spoke last week about the the uh, promotion criteria that were announced, which was so tone-deaf. You know, it's, it, it, here, here Ealing, or whoever but Ealing, can come up with a 5,000 stadium, and then in a year you have a 10,000 stadium, at which point they could be relegated again. But all of that was about trying to facilitate a 14-team league, which yeah, is completely funny, opposite to what, what everyone actually wants and what they're talking about. So it you could still bizarre. end up with a 13-team league if Wasps turn it around. Yeah, yes, you could, and all eventualities are possible from two leagues of eight, two leagues of ten, you know, bring the championship, give them a big share of, of the next TV deal, or lots of things being discussed, which we will keep you on on top of here on, on the pod and, and in the paper. But now we can escape the dark clouds. It's been a theme of the first two, two or three pods of this season, is how can we balance the good with the, with the ugly? And we've ha- we have to address the news. Well, you've got the ugly sitting it across from you, so let's talk some rugby. You're look- what, the mirror behind me? Yeah. Oh, you're looking... Um, yes, let's talk rugby. Next, on the ruck, we're going around the grounds in the Premiership. So, rugby, finally. Uh, as I said, we've just come from Eddie Jones' England squad announcement, the theme of which was, was really Eddie reflecting on the start of the Premiership season and also his thoughts on the rugby championship and how in his mind there's never been greater differentiation in how the game is played that there are teams being successful playing power power packed set piece dominated rugby and there are teams being successful playing much more expansive looser rugby and and we obviously saw that through the championship and actually and I think we've seen that unfold in, in the prem too one of the most interesting storylines which we we touched on after the Quinn's series game last week is that Saracens seem to be shifting from one camp to the other. They staged a sort of Harlequins like comeback against Gloucester to, to snatch that win 41 39, kind of basketball type score, which will have certain people <clears throat> like Stephen Jones uh, hating, hating it. You know, and he'd say so himself. Well, there was there was an element in there that there was still for him to love. I mean, uh, if you look at if we're, if we're talking about Saris Gloucester, there was a point where I think there was. Um, 26 points Gloucester scored using their mole yeah. and then there were three tries for Saracens for the mole I mean it's I don't think the mole has seen such a showcase since the Westfield opened in White City <laughs> they would to love it it's been, it's been the foundation of their of their success last season scrum set, uh, set piece mauling game um, it, what's interesting about Saracens is from the way Eddie was talking and, and, and I understand what he's coming from they're, they're shifting their focus away from structure, away from organisation to playing a, a freer, more open, more ambitious style of rugby. And they've been in, involved now in two brilliant games to, uh, to start the season at Quinns and, and home to Gloucester. And if you go to Franklin's Gardens, uh, who you know, Northampton, Leicester, Leicester winning it 41-21, the game was tighter than that, except that the, Leicester's victory was founded upon those shoulders of Dan Cole dominating the scrum, which eventually cracked Northampton and through came flooding the, the, the Leicester players and, and scored those tries later on. Was part of you kind of thinking that he might have been selected for the England training squad? You, yeah, I, I did wonder. I did wonder. I, I mean, Carl Sinclair's not been included. Now, we're told that that's just because he's only back from a back injury and he'll, he will be involved. But I, di- I did wonder because if, if you've got a player who is playing... A with with the experience that he he has, and with all that all those years of experience, is still producing arguably the best rugby of his career. I'd go a step further than that. Is he is a per- player who perfectly understands his place within a system. But it's, it's interesting because you look at the way that Northampton played, right? Shot at the blocks, continuation. You can't really say it's a a, a reimagining of what they've done because it's a kind of a continuation of what Chris Boyd's done. Coaches that he's mentored and pulled through, uh, a lot of players that he's helped play a certain style and they've got some phenomenal players yeah. and they shoot out but then Leicester Tigers that system that we talked about 
they can just see it through at the end, you know, pass the baton on to someone else, right? You see the job through. Hmm. Would you see what did it feel like a system versus style kind of thing, or am I imagining things here? Well, it it did to a degree, but to me, it felt like two teams with completely opposite strengths. Um, and ultimately, it was it was the, the 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 game management on the back of this dominant scrummaging forward performance that that eventually wore down a Northampton team who were determined to play quick and wide, and and they had their success early on. And I thought Tommy Freeman, just Tommy Freeman as a, is deceptively quick. He runs these these lines. We saw it in Australia. He can beat players when you're not sure. He's going to beat. He's going to beat them. Like really impressive, and and just and Alex Mitchell, the vision, the the um, the speed of thought and the speed of action. Stuart Barnes talked about him on last week's pod a lot, and you know, and they all that that works for them because it fits the the style of player they have, and it and it hurt Leicester, but the style of play that players that Leicester have, Nandolo, power. You know, Oli Chesson has come through to be a really forceful um, second row slash back row forward. Dan Cole, the rock, just chipping away at that Northampton scrum until it just crumbled. It was a clash of styles, a clash of um, philosophies, and ultimately, the on that occasion, the power game eventually killed off the the uh, the, the adventure game. Um, doesn't mean it will always happen because if you can keep the ball out of the scrum if you can limit the mistakes and you, you you can you can damage it but it was interesting to talk about compared to the balance earlier actually because if you look at some of the big results from this weekend in the premiership like the 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 gap between high scoring games but the gap between teams is probably if you're going to use that as an advertisement of look whatever else is happening off the field on the field this is something to be shouted about because Definitely. even if you don't like high scoring you'd like a bit more knuckle the fact that the score lines have been so close like look at Bristol versus Irish, right? High-scoring affair, 40 points to 36. Um, I think was this, Bristol probably had a bit of Prince playing because they were partying like it's 1999. Not since 1999 have they won their first three games in a row in the Premiership, which is really interesting. But sort Especially of, after how they went last year. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah, and that's genuinely like the tanker's been turned around, that, yeah. that real feeling. And actually, speaking as a Scotsman here, it was interesting to see certain players come through, like Magnus Bradbury... Joining Bristol, there was like the way his time ended at Edinburgh was like, will he realise his potential? Seems like the perfect move for him. But lots of things seem to be turning around for Bristol. But you know that idea of guys coming to the fore and scoring tries and Genge playing really well and Harry Randall. Okay, he missed out on his England selection, but he was on the score sheet. There was just a sense of something like really exciting things happening, but. Scoreline was dead tense, and totally. those moments within the game where momentum swung, and that happened in loads of games mm. this weekend. And it, just on the final scoreline, so the only blowout on the score sheet was Worcester, filled with emotion, beat, beating Newcastle thirty nine five. Newcastle, one of those teams we understand whose budget is lower than than the salary cap. But even Leicester forty one, Northampton twenty one, the fact that they pulled clear at the end was part of the whole story, and it was tight. Mm. Clash of philosophies, as we've talked about, what, what Eddie explained earlier between these two styles that are that are um, really separating out in the game at the moment. You know, Bath Wasps. There was a comeback from from Bath. You thought they might nick it at the end. They 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 went down by by eight points in the end. Yeah, Bristol Irish, Sarries winning it at the death by two points from Gloucester. And then I was yeah, at, relying on an Owen Farrell kick from touchline touch. conversion in, in the last play of the game. And I was at. An Exeter to see another of those just ridiculous Harlequins matches where so Will Keller texted me at half time um, and Exeter have been that emphatic in every area um, Harlequins barely fired a shot things just weren't sticking the passes were floating forward they were getting suffocated in defence did Smith kick his first kick sail into touch Smith's first kick sailed into touch uh, Exeter won a scrum at the penalty, kicked it for touch, and then did what Exeter do, which is keep it in, keep it tight, and score. So, Arlequins conceded inside three minutes, having gifted Exeter the chance. They never really got back into it. There was a, a nice try from Caden Murley, but they're thirty-one-seven down half time. Yeah, Will Keller texted me to go. The uh, they've just shown a graphic on BT Sport 
that says um, winning percentage, uh, Harlequins have got 0% chance of winning this game and a 1% for a draw. And I messaged you back and say, I don't think they've ever seen Harlequins play. Because even in the, like in the stadium, there's a lot of, there's a buzz around it. But you're like, Danny Kerr's coming on because their scrum half was woeful. You know Kerr's coming on at half-time. You've, you've seen that movie before. Don't, it's, it's a long way back from 31-7. But it's not that long for this Harlequins team because 20 minutes later they were winning. Not when you can go, Luke Northmore, off you go. No, so Kerr changes it. Um, Smith starts finding his targets. And the variety of his attacking game is beautiful. Northmore is, is finding holes. Um, Lennox and Yanru, who, who had a pretty tricky first half, was schooled a bit by Owen Farrell the week before. He made a couple of busts, a couple of passes. And suddenly, 20 minutes later, Harlequins are winning the game. And like, the place is just... The place has gone from rocking to fearing the worst, fearing that they're going to be the next Gloucester who, who, who lost from... 20 points up last season the next Bristol who obviously famously lost that Premiership semi-final mm. and then we yeah, have there must have been a few ghosts floating around there oh, but but also the, the opposite of that in the coursing through the Harlequins veins you know, you're thinking there's one winner now and actually what Exeter then did to to rest about that last 20 minutes the lead changed hands three times and uh, Chris Chinzu right at the end full of controversy Harlequins fans all around here where we are and checking them are certain it was a forward pass from from Hogg to Patrick Schickling. Yeah, no, I, have, I, have I have a question about that. pretty forward to me, but... I have a question about that, right? And it relates to a different sport that happened this weekend. Is uh, Now, I won't confess to be the greatest cricket guy. Oh, uh, man-cad. Cricket, but the man-cad situation, yeah. right? Where um, India women are playing against England in the ODI and the game is decided on a man-cad, right? You should explain a man-cad. Can you explain a mancad? Because I will get the terminology wrong. It's when you run out the non-striker. So the, the bowlers in in the in the course of their action, and the the non-striker has is backing up down the wicket, basically trying to steal a yard or two, and they they leave the crease too early and they get run out before the ball is bowled. So I've I've heard from enough people that love their cricket to tell me that that is bang out of order and it is not in the spirit of the game, but it's within the laws of the game. Yeah. Um, and it's been it's one of those situations where. Again, I can't confess to be the, the greatest cricket fan in the world, or at least knowledgeable, and yet I know all about it, and I've seen lots of debate about it, and it's one of those things where you wonder, is this maybe good that we're talking about situations like this? It leads me to this potential forward pass, because with the angle of the camera from the offloads from Hogg, yeah. and with the replays that you've seen, it's not cut and dry, but you could hazard a guess that it was forward. Now, this is something that we're talking about where someone like Sportable, with their smart chips and the ball, mm. reckon that they can, once and for all, sort this out. You'd know whether it's a forward pass. Is there an argument to be had that actually it's good that there's elements to debate, particularly in such a, a close game with such small margins? Now, obviously, the, the counter to that is, is it's such small margins. How could you possibly let a decision be made that decides which way the, the, the points go uh, with such a, a grey area? But it's fun. And we get to talk about it, and it's something to debate. We're literally sitting in a pub talking about it right now. We are, and yet the TMO was brought in to end these debates, to bring accuracy. And yeah, that's a good point. And it, and it hasn't. We just we're still debating it, and then and instead of debating was it forward or not, we're debating why did Ian Tempest not listen to the TMO, who was sort of suggesting that it was forward, but didn't really seem to have the authority to say it's definitely forward because Get off the he fence. didn't have the angles. So he was going, well, yeah, Schickling was, was a bit in front of Hogg, but then he turned to catch it. So The, the counter to my counter as well would be that actually probably a, an automated system would do this a lot quicker than well, that's, going uh, back and forth. And, and, and that, that's the key. That's actually one of the points that Danny Kerr made on the field to the referee afterwards. I mean, Kerr was furious. And we could see to our Understandably. right... Understandably. The, the, the coaches were furious. They were convinced it was forward um, and he's like you got this game has reached its climax and like, and it, you could hear Kerr saying to the ref that's why people are turning off this game because it's just taken forever like the whole moment has been, and, and what he's basically what he's basically saying is that's why people are turning off because there's an obvious forward pass there that hasn't been given by the TMO and we've wasted two minutes not coming to a decision that's what he means he's been careful with what he says but but he's got a point that if you're going to use the TMO and then still not reach a decision because it's not clear enough, then 
what's the point? Like, how many, how far back do you want to go? Like, it was, it was an offload to Schickling, who was then tackled, and there were yeah. four passes, three or four passes, and then Chienza beats two men on the outside to score. Like, you could argue that, that that's far enough back to, to, to um, allow it to go if it was in the referee's own eye. Now, I got a mate who is a regular at this place who was texting me Harlequin season ticket holder, furious about it, certain it was forward. He saw effectively the same view I did because I was sitting under under the cameras and the moment the pass went, I was like, "That's." I said to um, the guy next to me, that's, that's forward, isn't it? And everyone agreed. I think we're all litigating the wrong thing. What's your view on Stuart Hogg's man bun? I think, I think his man bun's horrific, but I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he's mid-growth and that it yeah. might end up being all right in a, in a year's time. But at the moment, it looks awful. I mean, and there's just to throw a number out there, this is apropos of nothing, uh, 1,069 points scored so far this season in, in three rounds. I don't know what that tells us. I don't know if that's keeping pace with anything. But and was the number, I think I saw the number of tries this weekend was the fourth highest ever in a round in the Premiership. Um, so as we early days as well as we keep saying the rugby is thrilling and it's not just loads of tries you know which is which is Jonesy's big beef with with high scoring basketball super rugby which he can't stand it's not just loads of tries it's thrilling finishes it's scrum it's scrum dominating to win a game it, there's all sorts definitely of definitely more try set up by malls malls like there, there's just a lot there's well, a lot needs to be a great. hooker by the way yeah, Newcastle last season, McGuigan was one of the leading try scorers in, in the Prem. And actually, the game extra went to uncontested because Harlequins lost both hookers to injury. Suddenly, Joe Marchant's throwing in the line out. Yeah. Exeter is steal. Yeah, Chunza's Ch- Ch- rising to steal, and they end up scoring the, the winning try. So, yeah, but Chunza, great. I mean, a great story he's got. And, and he was he just too. It felt like a bit of a breakthrough game for him. That Spoke to Ali Heifer afterwards about. Chienzo, who's wearing seven, but isn't a, a classic seven, but he he was compared by Exeter to Sam Simmons in the fact that they just, there's an athlete there, there's a rugby player there, and we're going to get him in the wide channels, we're going to get him running with the ball, which felt particularly pertinent because Sam Simmons, we now know, is off from Exeter at the end of the season to join Montpellier, um, and they may have a, a, an inbuilt replacement there in, in this young lad, uh, the Wales flanker. Uh, just quickly, it's it's worth noting we, we spoke a lot about Wasps. Wasps got their win uh, at the weekend, thirty nine thirty one against Bath. Bath, such an intriguing case to keep to keep your eye on uh, this season. New regime there. Uh, Johan van Kranz come in to to look after the place. Fascinating. We talked earlier to John Dobson and the Stormers play a sort of what you'd say is unlike what you'd assume a South African rugby team would play in that they throw it about and they take risks and they like chaos and broken play and it's not about systems. A Van Gran team is very much about systems and it doesn't seem to have bedded in yet at Bath, but that's another game. 28-7 at one point and it swung both ways. So let's see if those systems can bed in at Bath. Coming up next on the Ruck, we'll have a look at a quick look at the, uh, the first England training squad of, of the season. We'll reflect on the last round of the Rugby Championship and we'll nominate our God Contest of the Week. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Okay, England. Uh, the protocols dictate that Eddie Jones names a training squad for a three-day camp uh, which will take place at Twickenham Stadium um, from Sunday of next week. Eddie Jones is actually not a big fan of this at all. He keeps he keeps asking, what are you going to achieve in this time? And he goes, well, we've only got two training sessions. Um, he's, he's sort of not not hiding his frustrations with the English system very well at the moment following his, his comments about, about private school 
the private school production line. Um, but nevertheless, he has to name a squad. He's named a 36-man squad. I guess the headlines of it are those who aren't there. Three casualties from the summer tour, particularly Joe Marchant, who started the first test against Australia uh, and doesn't feature at all. Harry Randall didn't play on tour and he's been overtaken. Ben Young's is back, having been unavailable. Along with Jack Van, Van Portfleet, who was outstanding in Australia, and Alex Mitchell, who has just been electric for Northampton this season, as as we spoke about um, last week. Danny Kerr is not there. Danny Kerr hooked 35 minutes into the third test. Eddie Jones again insisting that um, he wasn't hooked early, but it's just he was just reacting to the way the game goes. Try telling that to Danny Kerr, who um, had a face like thunder for the rest of the game and really had to work pretty hard within himself to be back in as part of the team after a victory because it was he certainly felt like he'd been been hooked early. Um, other omissions, the the explanation of of Carl Sinclair and, and Henry Slade not joining up is that they've only just come back from injury. Best to keep them training and playing with with, with their clubs. Uh, and a couple of new players, as we mentioned earlier, um, Alex Coles from Northampton and and Hugh Tizard from Saracens, who I think... I mean, his rise has been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, Saracens signed him roughly this time last year. He wasn't in the Harlequins team. Um, They signed him. Alex Kennedy had spotted him playing out on loan and and, um, through the England age groups, signed him. He then finishes the season for Harlequins. Saracens almost certainly got a bargain because if they'd signed him in about springtime, his value would have been way higher than it would have been this time last year. But he's been brilliant. He was very good against... um, uh, against Quinns actually and, and is for, going to forge a decent partnership I'd say there with, with Maratoji. he's in for the for the first time now this is not the squad for the, for the autumn campaign there were players who won't train but will still link up guys like Courtney Laws who who uh, went off with an HIA at the weekend Maro Itoji's got a, a dodgy shoulder but they will all be available for, for the autumn but it just shows where he's looking he's just trying to find a nugget somewhere he, he thinks he's got the majority of his World Cup squad now really nailed down his mind interesting today he talked about he's now going to take three scrum halves to France he only took two to the World Cup in, he in did. Japan and, and it's always felt like a blind spot of his nine and two has always felt like yeah. he's, he's had the blinkers and of course there. suddenly um, Ben Spencer had to get flown out to Japan in the week of the World Cup final uh, he's going to take three to um, to France which is a shit. They, they've got the, a couple more spots available now with a with bigger squads allowed, but that brings Ben Youngs back into it. I'm not sure if they'd taken two. I'm not sure if he'd have made it, but I think he's now back in the squad. And um, yeah, so th- that's the that's the wider England set up, and he's looking for adaptability and on-field leadership and all the things that we spoke about earlier about the, the two different ways the game is played. He's looking for players who can who can play one way and then switch to another if needs be. Which is really interesting because we've just seen, uh, considering who they're going to be up against in November, mm. we've just seen one of the most, well, probably the most competitive rugby championship ever. And as yeah. an, as a, a complete neutral, it's yeah. been phenomenal to watch. But England are playing against New Zealand and South Africa, and watching the Itzy Pizzi race to try and get the title and it coming down to the wire and just. It's phenomenal. It's, we were told that New Zealand were in a crisis and they've just won their third rugby championship in a row, but phenomenally competitive. Looking at the way that those teams have have played in that, I mean, Argentina under Michael Checa, phenomenal. And it's just seeing what that was like and then seeing how they go against England and what sort of game plan England will play against them in the November test is, is, is fascinating because, for example... Do you know it's been 13 years since the Springboks lost to France? Like, it's really? it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I was speaking to John Cardinelli, um, a fellow writer out in South Africa, and he told me that this morning, and I was like, whoa, hold on a second. Is that right? So it's it's fascinating to see how those teams that came to the Rugby Championship will shape up against the Northern Hemisphere. And actually, probably the Springboks are potentially the yardstick because we've seen France and England defeat New Zealand, and obviously there'll be loads of attention on the All Blacks and they've somehow pulled through of this earth-shattering crisis to, to lift another trophy. Um, but judging where those teams are, do you think South Africa could potentially be the yardstick for them? Because seeing them against France and them against England will tell us where they are this close to the Rugby World Cup. The one counter to that is that the, 
the England's fourth game against the box is the one that's outside of the window. So while England, because they've paid for it, will have access to all their players, the Springboks will only be able to pick those who aren't attached to French and English clubs. Um, and potentially Japanese clubs. I'm not quite sure whether what that release it's deal would be. It's always been a. It's always been a great. Yeah. Deal. So and, and so if the Japanese clubs stand firm, then suddenly they don't have Faf and they don't have probably half their team really. Um, so so that it'd be harder to tell. We we know what South Africa is coming. They're not going to change how they play. Being coming from behind to play, it's an interesting thing. We're talking about finishers and structures and all that kind of thing. It doesn't seem to have hit his straps on that one. So maybe not as massive a miss as you might think but yeah, it's a, good, a very good point on that but it's fascinating to see these rugby championship teams taking their form from that where realistically they can all beat each other mm-hmm. on the day now if you're an Australian might have a very different view on that or um, producer Alfie, Alfie was telling me he did a, a video on YouTube uh, a couple of weeks ago about the, the end of the, the first Bledisloe game and uh, all the attention that it got down under um, and you might have a different view on, the, on that game but you know those teams have been able to beat each other it'll be fascinating to see what form they now bring into Europe yeah definitely and England's England's set up this autumn is Argentina and then Japan I think with an eight day gap in between which is exactly what they're going to face as their first two games of the World Cup pool stage over in France, one in Marseille, one in Nice, followed by New Zealand and South Africa. If England could progress as group winners, there's every chance that that will be a semi-final final again, p- potentially. And obviously, there's lots of other teams getting involved there, France and Ireland, but, but England have set it up um, in a way that, as a dry run, really, four big games... Japan have flown under the radar a bit. They pushed they pushed France pretty hard in the summer. They were hit probably more than any other team by COVID because they, they had a, a whole line of, of fixtures lined up, uh, which they were unable to, to fulfil. Um, so we, we're really not sure quite how well they're going to come out of it, but they've been in camp for four months already. Hmm. The, the Pumas have, have had a fire lit under them by Michael Checker doing what... What Michael Checker does exactly, yeah, short-term bounce with Michael Checker, Perfect. and yeah, and players like Matera and some of the young front rowers they found like they're gonna they're gonna hit Twickenham and hit the World Cup with just a torrent of passion and physicality. Um, and England, talk about these different stars. England, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to match that. If you look at the bat line or the back selection that Eddie's picked, there's a lot of pace in there as well, which was something that England have lacked in the, in the two years where they were struggling in Six Nations they had no pace and they had no punch and he's sticking with Joe Cock and Singer which I'm surprised about because he dropped him off he's been in and out like the whole and he dropped him after the first test as he did Joe Marchant and I thought that's that might be it but he knows the value of of getting Cock and Singer fit and firing because he's he's powerful and he's quick and he attracts defenders Manu obviously is is pivotal to everything. There's a couple of glue men, sort of Guy Porter, um, is still still involved. Dingwall, who's playing really well for for Saints, but then, as we said earlier, there's pace. As Johnny May, who couldn't play on the tour, is is, is just as quick as ever. Tommy Freeman, Henry Arundel, like there's they can strike. It, England, I think, he's, he's setting them up to to have the classic foundations of scrum and more and physicality but the need to be able to strike has been sorely missing in the last few years and we just saw glimmers of it in Australia with, with Freeman and Arundel and Smith this, and Van Portfleet this. Henry Arundel's kept his, 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 his taken his form into this new season though. I sometimes think he's like a double black skier going down a blue slope man just unbelievable like he came on I was sitting just in front of Alfie who's, uh, who's with us our, our producer at, at the game against Worcester and he comes on first touch left foot half volley uh, chips it over the top or chases a chip over the top from Ollie Hassel Collins who isn't here but has also played really well left foot half volley timed perfectly drops on it he basically had four interventions off the bench scored twice set up one and could have scored another it's like it's like playing a different game to other other people and if you can keep that what 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 they want from him what they need from him is for him not to be found out mm. you know new, new players inevitably the ones that are really good they make a big impact quickly and then teams work out how to play against them and England need to keep that timing right so that he remains a shock he remains a um, a, a threat that, that teams haven't worked out how to deal with 
So we'll, we'll round off our pint in the pub with the God or Goddess of the Week. Uh, we've already spoken about him, so I don't need to go over it again. Dan Cole is my selection. What a player, what a man, uh, what a performance. Al, who's yours? Yeah, I mean, I, I did run through a few thought cycles on this one. Devil of the Week was, was one I thought of, and, and Bundyaki's challenge Ooh, uh, against yeah. Ciabella Sinatla. Um, he could be out for a prolonged period of time, and he arguing with the with the ref as well, well, or moaning at least, was was fairly edifying, and I don't think you can... Um, that challenge at the breakdown, I don't think you can defend it no. at all, and it's hard not to be spotted when you've got the, the bleach blonde going on as well. Um, so that did run through my mind. Uh, Ange Capuazzo, uh, our favourite Italian star, has started with a bang at Toulouse, and I thought he was up for it. Um, Darcy Graham has scored five tries in two games, um, and Edinburgh went real good guns against the Bulls in Pretoria, which is easier said than done. But actually, I ended up going for my gods of the week is the, is the Dragons um, in the URC because they made a fair few headlines when Dean Ryan basically came out and blasted his group, saying they've got the talent, but they, they need to get their finger out. Uh, for a lot of people, it was the final straw in a in an really not very satisfying reign at all under Dean Ryan. Um there's rumours, chat, that he's gone and lo and behold this weekend they just blitzed Munster um, which is, again, uh, you don't see that every day certainly not with the Dragons in recent years so I think they deserve a, a round of applause for pulling together as a group Collective prize, brilliant Okay, Al, thanks for joining me we've been in the Turk's Head it's been, uh, it's, it used to be my local so it's nice to be back uh, That was the like coming in here with Norm from Cheers when yeah. they walked in and was like, <laughs> Alex! Yeah, not yeah. I think the bar stuff have all changed, so they didn't quite know what my order was. Like they, yeah, your parking like space they isn't may here anymore. To. Parking space is definitely gone. Um, no, listen, it's been, it's been uh, good fun, Al. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been the Ruck from the Times of Sunday Times. We will keep you posted on all the news uh, in the in the paper and on next week's pod. Please follow or subscribe from wherever you get your pods. This episode, as ever, was edited and produced by Alfie Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs>